Let's just get to it. Oh, no jest today. Again. This episode is part of our She Podcast Conversation series. And this time, it's just me, Elsie. So if Jess is the one that you need or you look forward to your Jess hit every Monday morning, might as well come back next week. <laughs> you have been warned, but... I'm going to give you a quick rundown on of what's really gone down in the past week and why we ended up doing this kind of pseudo solo thing again. The day that we usually record, which is usually Wednesday, Jess headed over to New York. New York is a wonderful town for Work It, the podcasting women's conference that was going on in New York, which um, is the one that I was accepted to and I couldn't attend and I sent it off to her and she thankfully is there for us and we all will be getting the scoop about that so i'm telling you proper episode 101 will be epic we have so much to catch up on between she and i as well as a bunch of feedback and other things that i'll get to later but anyway that's not the only thing i also had some unexpected stuff happen which entailed moving out of our mountain home, you know, with me and the goats and us alone up in the mountains unexpectedly. So we are kind of in limbo living, in a limbo living situation, somewhere in between, which is not particularly conducive to producing podcasts and digital media and all that fun stuff. And yes, you will get a little bit more on the scoop on how we are doing by the time Jess and I catch up next week. But needless to say... You should have seen me getting this audio to John. Oh my God, because I have no connection. So at this moment, it's not that I have a bad connection, which is what I usually have. I almost have zero. Like there is no Wi-Fi where we are in the interim at this moment because we're going to be going to Pittsburgh very, very soon. But as of now, it's only cellular data that I have. And these files are giant that I'm trying to send on there. So it was tough. But Jess and I will absolutely be circulating back around on our epic, actually, it's one for the history books, episode 100. And if you have not listened yet, what are you waiting for? Our amazing editor, John Buchanis from AudioEditingSolutions.com did an incredible job putting it all together with the help, of course, of the mighty Dave Jackson from the School of Podcasting. So we've gotten some incredible feedback and we will, I'm sure, circle back around with those guys because they had access to the She Podcast Facebook group for a week. So we would love to hear their feedback on that. And I'm sure we're going to be getting them on the show very, very soon. So in case you want to listen to that episode, you can quickly access it via shepodcasts.com slash 100 or just subscribe to the show via the podcast app and download the thing. It's episode 100. It's the one right before this episode. So... Ready? So let's get on with the content of this episode. One last little bit before I get to tell you what this episode's going to be about. If you guys want to work with Jessica or myself at Podcast Movement in real life for the one-two punch, just with she and I sitting with you, totally diving in with you, you need to apply like right away. Honestly, we are really cutting things down now. We're planning our schedules. If you have been on the fence, go ahead and apply please, right away, so we, we can reach out to you as soon as possible and get you in. 
Go to ShePodcast.com slash apply, ShePodcast.com slash apply for your spot at Podcast Movement. This is the first time we're going to be there face-to-face with you guys. How incredible would it be to actually talk podcasting and for you to be able to show me your gear right there for I can walk you through it on your computer, show you your microphone if you want, do the workflows that we do right there. How amazing would that be? So anyway, let's get going. We are going to start off with some super killer insight from Isabella Russell from Music Radio Creative and one of the founders of New Media Europe, which is why I asked her to send in some audio for this show. She's incredible. She really is doing some great things in the podcasting space. And New Media Europe is an awesome event that deserves to be acknowledged. Also, Isabella is a mama like a lot of us, she podcasters, and she offers up killer podcasting workflow tips. After Isabella, you'll be hearing from my friend and co-worker Crystal O'Connor from Libsyn, and we will be talking about all things backup. I know, sexy subject, right? We'll make it sexy for you. I'll tell you a little bit more about Crystal after we hear back from Isabella. So take it away, Isabella. <laughs> Hello, lovely ladies. I am absolutely honoured to have been invited by Elsie to share a couple of my stories. So first one relates to podcasting and motherhood. I mean, yeah, I think that many of you will probably relate to that. And, you know, that there is kind of different reality. As women, we are an entirely different reality to the guys. You know, they can't kind of relate to all the problems we are going through, the same challenges and feelings. So... I have been podcasting now since 2012. My goodness, the time is just flying by. And since then, well, I have two lovely young children. My daughter is now four and a half and my son is just about to be one and a half. So we have very, very small children. And do you know what? It has been very challenging. I mean, the number of times I'm right right in my flow and then suddenly there's wah going <laughs> and you just have to stop and, and just, you know, go back to your motherhood duties, which is amazing. Obviously, it's incredible. But I actually think that it's also amazing because I can be at home. You know, I do all of my work from home and I can be with my children. And, you know, if that means recording audio, at 8 p.m. when they are in bed or even later, that's perfectly fine. Or, you know, just trying to find the time in between the naps and, yeah, just do what you are best at. But I absolutely love it. And I think that it only has made me much of a stronger person. Also, the fact that I'm much more efficient. Uh, I think that the fact that I need to work under pressure for quite a lot, lot of the time, I mean, it's getting better and better. I'm sure that if you have two young children, you can relate that with time. It, it gets easier in certain aspects. But I I became much more efficient because I was suddenly forced to think of how I can cut uh, something that, you know, usually takes two hours into one hour or even 30 minutes and, you know, not be afraid of making really harsh decisions when it comes to, okay, what do I need to do and how much is time really worth to me? So how much of it I need to outsource? So obviously there are things such as production. There are things such as, you know, publishing, writing show notes, social media. And I will tell you one thing, I'm outsourcing every single part of it. It hasn't happened overnight, but with time, I've realized that, well, hang on a second. You know, what I really love to do is actually create content with amazing people. So this is what I'm focusing on. And over time, I've added now three members to my team. So I have somebody who actually produces every single show for me. 
I have somebody who writes show notes, publishes um, everything in WordPress. And I have another person who puts all of it into social media. Uh, I use Meet Edgar and just, you know, every single episode, I will create three, four, five different tweet variations and they come onto my schedule and that's perfectly fine. But it wasn't easy to do it all at once because you may think, oh, you know, is this going to be worth it financially? Heck yeah, absolutely. You know, all of that time, I mean, it would probably take me additional three hours per episode. I'm not, you know, <laughs> despite perhaps thinking that I could be yeah, super whiz in new media. I'm actually not. I actually don't enjoy doing tasks that don't involve that much creativity, so to speak. So it would have taken me, let's say, two to three hours per episode. I record sometimes four, five, six episodes per week. So how much time is that? That would be an additional 10 hours of my time at least every week. Do I have those 10 hours? No, I don't. Even if I wanted to squeeze them in my time, do I spend 10 hours editing, creating WordPress posts, or do I spend that with my kids? And the second one always, always wins. Which actually very nicely leads me to to some of my tips to you as a podcaster. So definitely just pinpoint all of the things that you are not good at. And don't be afraid to actually ask for help. And I know, you know, some of you will just roll your eyes at the moment and say, yeah, but, you know, I have absolutely no budget for this. Do you know what? There are people out there who are willing to do work for very little as part of their, I don't know, work experience or their own learning journey and process. I mean, I've, I've been very, very fortunate to have amazing people on my team, but it hasn't been easy to find really good people straight away. But it has taken some patience to just exactly pin down into as to what I want them to do, how I want it to be done, and for them to learn exactly the outcome. But it's worth it. I would not look back at all. So definitely, if you can outsource anything, start small. You know, you don't have to go all in. Start with something you genuinely hate doing. You will realize how much time you will suddenly get back because the things we hate doing, it's not just the time we spend on doing them, but also all of the time we spend thinking about that we need to have it done and procrastinating over doing it. I mean, I'm doing it. I'm sure everyone else does too. So yeah, just get rid of the one task that you absolutely hate doing. Another thing I would say is uh, meet Edgar. Oh my, if you have not met Edgar, this is the guy for you to meet. Uh, Just look for it online, meetedgar.com, I believe it is. And it's the best social media scheduling tool I have ever used. It's great because it recycles the content. So you don't have to worry about creating schedules over and over and over again. You just add content to it and it makes the schedule for you. And from the podcasting perspective, it's the best tool you can do. Because let's face it, if you tweet something once, very, very tiny percentage of your followers will actually see that tweet. So it's important to keep tweeting the same content over and over and over to max on the reach you potentially get. So yeah, just create four or five tweets per episode, put them into your Edgar and you are absolutely done. Social media will never take you less time than this, I promise you. Another thing that I found really works well for me with my podcast is, okay, so my podcast is an interview-based show. And obviously, the interviews are usually around similar thing. And it is a lifestyle. It it is things that um, they do as entrepreneurs, what kind of journeys they go through, etc. And what I found really helped me. So rather than sitting in front of, uh, you know, prep time, 
for a very long time and, and researching every single guest in depth. What I actually started to do is I drafted myself, I think, 20 or 30 questions I could potentially ask a guest. So this is my kind of like a cheat sheet. I do not like having exactly the same questions from one episode to the next. I do like to make it very conversational. So what I usually do is I will literally spend five minutes, if that, to prepare for my interview. And the thing I am interested in knowing ahead of the time is in a few sentences, who the person is I'm talking to, what are they doing, what are they most known for? And then what I will do is at the beginning of my interview, I will actually ask my guest to tell me what is it that they do? What is it they are proud of? And it's kind of all of that research. They can do it for me. They can tell me that. And then if you have a notepad and just note some additional questions that come to you, to your head on the back of the answers, you're going to have some incredible interview. I mean, it took me some time, probably five or six episodes to really nail it down. But because I was booking quite a lot of interviews to start with. So as I say, sometimes I had six sometimes even eight interviews per week. That process was very short for me to learn. And I would encourage you to do the same, book a lot of interviews in a very short space of time, because that will enable you to refine your style very quickly. If you only have one interview per week, it will take you sometimes months to get through that. It's not good. And you are going to forget how you felt about certain things a week ago. I mean, those things just go. So a lot of interviews in a short space of time and just refine your style. And then from then, you genuinely do not spend more than five minutes on the prep for the interview. It genuinely works. So it's actually great because we can create our day based on our own schedule. So we both work from home, which means we can spend more time with our kids. And we try to really create our schedules to be able to almost like swap. So actually, if I was to really deeply think about it on a normal sort of non-stressful time where we don't have anything big going on, we actually both work part-time um, or put part-time hours, but actually get full-time results. And it's great because we managed to create that good balance between the time we spent working, the time we spend looking after kids and, you know, looking after our home. You know, we have a beautiful garden. You know, you, you still have to kind of do all the things around the house, like clean the house, clean the dishes, make dinner, make lunch. So it's been good from that perspective. But then I always feel that I'm, I'm quite fortunate because my husband is very much hands-on, both with kids and the tasks at home. And I think it really depends on how your other half is with all of that. So if there was one thing I could recommend everyone doing is just making kind of a list of things that you both are good at and trying to create your schedule based on that. So, you know, in our case, when we did make that list, I absolutely hate washing dishes. I mean, this is one thing I just do not like to do. But it so happens that actually Mike doesn't mind doing them. He will just stick on his favorite podcast and his earphones and he will just, you know, spend half an hour, 40 minutes doing dishes, which is fine. It works for him. I'm happy because it's done and he's happy because he listens to his podcast. So it's a win-win situation. And, you know, the, the other way around, you know, he does not touch doing washing as in clove washing. He just does not even know how our washing machine operates. Uh, so that's something I do in exchange. And yeah, I could be going on and on and on with, with little things like that. But it's just all about finding those little compromises. And I'm sure, you know, regardless of what personalities you both are, you can find that compromise and make it work. 
Just remember, there is no such a thing as work-life balance, especially if you work for yourself. Because actually, I think if you call something work-life balance, it means you should probably think about whether you're doing the right work. Because if it feels out of balance to you, then to me, it would indicate you are not enjoying something you do. So much so, you are actually thinking about the fact you need a balance. I hope this makes sense. But yeah, if you are thinking about work-life balance, you definitely should rethink what you do and why. It's important. So uh, part of uh, one of the biggest things on my agenda at the moment is um, making new Media Europe happen. We are literally just a couple of weeks away and it has been one of the hardest things I have ever done, full stop. Uh, so much so that, yeah, I'm, I'm recently literally pulling two shifts a day. So I will start working at seven o'clock in the morning and finish sometimes at one o'clock in the morning. Uh, and obviously I will need to do a lot of other things in between, but it does usually add up to around 16 hours of work every day, which may sound crazy. But uh, the reason why I say that is because in order for anybody to be able to do something like that, you do need to have quite a strong why. Uh, you do need to have quite a strong belief in what you do to really be pushing yourself to the limits. And um, I guess my why is the fact that I strongly believe that people can do what they love and they should do what they love to do. We have access to amazing tools and there is absolutely no excuse for anyone to hate the job they do. I mean, wouldn't the world be a beautiful place if everyone enjoyed their day? Because there wouldn't be a word such as work. It would be just a day. And, you know, it just comes back to what I was saying about the work-life balance. So my why is to create that world where people can do what they love to do. I mean, if you look at the technology and where it takes us in 15, 20, 30, maybe 30 years, even if it is 30 years, it's still my lifetime. I think that all of the little jobs such as, you know, serving you a coffee in the morning or <laughs> gardening and everything else that kind of can be replaced by a machine will be replaced by the machine. And I think it will leave us a great opportunity to suddenly create that mindset where people actually do what they are made to do instead of they think they should be doing. So this is my why. I, I know it's very kind of deep and very. It, it may seem very big, but then I think that as humans, we are created to do big things. Some of, of us are little humans or may feel like little humans amongst billions of others, but then it's just important to do what you feel is right. And this is what I do. So I encourage you to do what you love to do because life is too short. Definitely, it's too short, even if you know, in some cases it's 80, 90 years, but it's too short to, to get that part wrong. And one thing I would hate doing is actually look back when I'm 80. Gosh, I hope I'm going to live to 80 or beyond and think that, oh, you know, I've wasted my life on hating every single day of doing what I was doing. I would hate that. That's just not me. So there it is. Oh, I hope it's not too long-winded, but do what you are made to do. Thank you, Isabella. And here are the biggest things that I got out of that piece of feedback that she sent over. 
Number one, cutting things down into smaller, doable chunks. And that's been working for me like crazy, especially now that I have very limited connectivity. I get an opportunity to sit down, batch process the majority of the things that need to get done offline. And then when I get online, I basically just put it out there. And it's amazing how effective that's been and how it's also stopped my habitual certain habits that I'm not even aware that I'm doing that I just lose myself. It's forcing me to stay focused. All right. The second one, start outsourcing the one thing that you can't stand. So there's a lot of us that are a little even overwhelmed about outsourcing because we're control freaks or we're afraid or we think it's too expensive or whatever. But if there's the one thing, just the one thing that you just cannot deal with anymore that you want to outsource, do it. It would probably help you so, so, so much more. And her interview tips were so awesome. Listen again to get all the goodness about the stuff that she was talking about interview tips. I had never thought about how packing, you know, a bunch of interviews in a short amount of time and doing that could serve you to become a better interviewer. Like I never thought about it from the perspective of you getting better at a craft. I was always thinking about how annoying it would be to do one interview after another interview and batch producing. And and I was thinking about it from the perspective of it's taking away from the artistry of it. And I hadn't realized that if you do that a lot, the more you do it, you can actually batch produce or record like up to 10 interviews or 12 interviews in a week or something like that. That's basically holy cats, that's like three months worth of insight that you would get if you were doing one episode every week. And at the beginning, I'm sure that really, really helps you out to sort of like move up to speed so that your skill set is like where it needs to be. The last thing that I really loved about what she said was rethinking work-life balance and what that means. Full stop, like Isabella would say. Full stop on that. So whenever we start to think about work-life balance... Maybe we should be thinking about why we want it. Isn't that neat? I'm just going to sit with that for a bit. It really resonated with the way that she stated it. And if you missed that, again, just rewind a little bit and listen to her talk about it. New Media Europe just happened this past weekend. Sadly, I wanted to get this out before that, but do make sure you go to newmediaeurope.com and sign up for the newsletter or follow at New Media Europe on Twitter, and I'm sure, and I know, I know that they have a Facebook page and all that stuff in social media. So you can, you know, stay in the know for next year's shenanigans, because I'm sure that this is just going to get better and better. And that way now this is in your consciousness, especially for those of you who are traveling to Europe and, you know, want to do something kind of off the cuff, something fun. Imagine doing a conference or something podcasting related at the same time that you are exploring the European landscape. So let's get started now with the conversation with my co-host for this specific episode, Crystal O'Connor, who also happens to be a friend of mine, and she's also a co-worker for Lipson. So both of us, as how we got to know each other, was via Lipson. And uh, Crystal, for the most part, you know, she really does a lot, a lot, and I think almost 100%, if I, you know, she can correct me if I'm wrong, of the tutorials and the support blog posts, tutorials, YouTube videos, things like that. We also co-host another podcast for Lipson called Lipson Live, which is an audio and video podcast where we dive deep into workflows or sometimes we do feature releases that are happening with Lipson at a specific time. 
at that same time, we also do a live Q&A. So we do a lot of question and answers while Libsyn Live is happening. And it's our way sort of like of touching base with the people, with the people, with podcasters. And you can, you know, obviously see that live as it happens, or you can get or subscribe to the video or the audio. And you can still search for that inside of iTunes for those feeds are in there. But anyway, Crystal is a fantastic educational fiend. She's got a finesse in terms of education, as well as her technical chops are just insane. She's able to distill things that are incredibly complicated in the tech space and make it accessible for those of us who have never really come into contact with some of these things that we're talking about. And I wanted Crystal to first come on the show because... The theme or the subject of backups had come up a lot. And when I'm talking backups is losing data, backing up your stuff. What do you do when, you know, your hardware crashes? How are you backing yourself up in terms of your files for your podcast? It seems like I've seen a couple of posts in She Podcasts where people have lost episodes. They don't know how to access something. They've been batch producing, as we were talking about before, interviews, and then all of a sudden, they disappeared and how could they have prevented that? Uh, making sure that as you are recording something like in, you know, let's say you're in GarageBand or any other thing, how to make sure that you don't lose that recording because that's happened to me before where the computer has like basically shut down on me while I'm in the middle of doing stuff. And that has been just not cool. So Crystal and I are going to dive deep into those topics. This might not be for the faint of heart, but we try to keep it light and we try to really engage it in a way to make it matter to you and just think of backup as like sexy talk. (laughs) I can't believe I said that. So listen to us and then send us your workflows or send us your tips about backup or perhaps your backup horror stories, you know, something when you've lost data and you've been super sad. So there's going to be tons of information. Please check out the show notes. You can check out the show notes directly from the podcast app so that you can see all of the services and all of the workflows that we and the apps that we are sharing on the show. It's going to be accessible right there. So... Thank you so much for listening, and here we go. Let's go, 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 go with Crystal. Crystal, I'm so stoked that you're on She Podcast. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, it's it, it's so fun to, for me to be able to, yeah, have you on the show. This thank you for coming. Oh, thank it's you so much fun. for having me. And I have to say that, you know, these kind of conversations, it's the kind of stuff that I find incredibly exhilarating and then and Jess does not particularly rejoice at my <laughs> geekiness over these in-depth topics about <laughs> this kind of stuff. Because <laughs> um, I'm always like, you know, the first thing I thought, of, so, okay, we're going to be talking all about backup today. Backups, people. Backups people. So uh, in all kinds of different ways, we're going to try to cover it from a variety of different perspectives. And the reason that this came up is because I've seen a lot of you lovely ladies out there that have been having, you know, trouble with your files. And as we, oh gosh, it's so hard for me to even talk about this. You could have, your computer could have a hardware fail at any time. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, knock on wood. They do. I know. They fail all the time. Yeah, they fail all the time. So it's kind of challenging 
for that. And I don't want you guys to pull your hair out. So, or to be really, really sad about a loss of an, uh, something that you've recorded that you kind of can't get a hold of, or you just find out that somehow your one of your files was corrupted and you didn't find out until way too late. So we're going to address a lot of these little things for you guys. But before we get into that conversation, this is like the only like segment for my show at this moment or this this ep- not my show but for the the segment of LC type conversations slash interviews with people which is this what do you have in your bag <laughs> and, you need and this like includes, a little jingle that's like what I know. is in her bag <laughs> I know we totally need that um and and what kind of bag is it because this is I'm obsessed with like everyday carry I don't know if you know about I think it's a website but I do follow them on Instagram a lot and it's called everyday carry the the handle and it's just pictures of what people have in their bags and I'm obsessed so <laughs> I think it just you know, gives information about people. So let us know, first of all, what kind of bag do you carry like every day? And then what's in it? My bag is actually an REI bag. R-E-I. It's actually one of their house brands. And it's like this little shoulder it's a it's a shoulder bag like I can I can put it up over my head and it just slings off my side and um it's vertical it's a vertical bag it's gray with blue little flowers on it um of course and you know I'm a mom who works a lot and I work from home and I do a lot of teaching over the weekends and I'm starting up a side business and like all those crazy things so my biggest issue when I'm moving around and why I use this bag and I've used it for years is because I need to have my phone and my iPad and an extra battery and an extra cable. If uh, I can't, okay, okay. <laughs> like before I okay. even worry about my driver's license, I have to have those things. <laughs> Holy cow. So <laughs> what cable, what extra cable are you talking about? Lightning. Oh, of course. Lightning. My husband is amazing, and he got together with the family, and for my birthday, they got me the 9.7-inch iPad Pro. So uh, there's just about nothing I can't do on that thing. I can do audio editing. I can do video editing. I've actually done some of our Lipson tutorials and Lipson Live edits using the iPad Pro. What? Wait a minute. Yes. What do you wait? <laughs> oh my god, I think I'm gonna Okay. So wait, how do you even do wait, what are you using? Are you using like iMovie? Or are you using Hell no. Okay, that's what I thought. I was like, that's like I'm not a big fan of iMovie. I so. hate iMovie. I hate everything that encompasses iMovie. Um actually my absolute favorite is Pinnacle Pro. Yeah, I think you've I've seen that around. Yeah, yeah, it's not the cheapest. I can't remember. It wasn't the most expensive, but I can't remember exactly. I think it was like 19 bucks. But it's an amazing app and on the iPad Pro, it's incredibly fluid. And for audio editing, I use either Twisted Wave or I use Ferret. And uh, the the ferret is really really beautiful. I talked to the developer there. The only problem with ferret is it won't export an MP3. It exports an M4A. So what you would have to do is use a, another app like Workflow 
or Twisted Wave or something to or uh, um, Alphonic to get it out to an MP3 for podcasting. But you can actually take audio back and forth between something like Pinnacle and Twisted Wave or Pinnacle and Ferret or Pinnacle and Boss Jock and move it back and forth so you can edit your audio and edit your video and work in multi-track. And it's really pretty neat when you have the right setup. I've also been known to use uh, VideoGrade, which is another, it's it's kind of a basic uh, video editing software that allows you to do, I thought we were talking about bags, <laughs> that allows you to I know, do right? like color <laughs> shifts um, and lighting changes and vignettes and things like that on the video. And uh, let's see, what's the other, where where is it? iConv. I-C-O-N-V. It's actually a really great little app whose entire job in the world is to convert audio and video formats to what you want it to be. That's all it does. You give it something and then it pumps something back out the other end. That's all it does. And I do all of that on my iPad. It's kind of ridiculously awesome. I think that that's probably going to be my next purchase now. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god! But so, okay, so so how do you carry your iPads? Can you break it down? I'm it go, such a it goes in my bag. Like, my my bag has a little like tablet section. So if I open up, if I lift up the main flap, it closes with a little magnet. And if I open mm. up the main flap, there's two um, main pockets in the center section. One is for tablet. And the other is for whatever, your mm. mom junk. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I literally just open the flap and there's my iPad. Huh. That's and it. is that's it naked? It. Is your iPad naked? No, 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 no. Okay, that's what I was getting at. That was what I was getting at. No, I have the, unfortunately, I have the Apple Smart Cover keyboard thing. I say unfortunate because Logitech had for the big, no, Mac, don't go to sleep. I'm on an, I'm on a call, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) The life of a podcaster. The smart keyboard, it's nice. It's, it's nice and small, but it doesn't have the additional row at the top with all your little iOS um, shortcut buttons that I like to use. And Logitech for the really big iPad Pro, the 12 point, whatever the heck size it is, Logitech created a create keyboard case that's awesome. And they haven't come out with one for the little one yet. So I have to use the Apple one and it's doing all right. Um, It does the job. And I have the um, Apple silicon case on it. So the little, it's just a silicon that goes along the back that protects the back and the edges. And then the smart keyboard is actually meant to work with that. So that covers the front. And when you open it up, it creates a little stand with a keyboard. So I'll take my son to the park or um, I'll take him to like little summer camps or to the mall play area or whatever. And I just whip this thing out and I do work, whether it's editing or I can troubleshoot RSS feeds or artwork or any of that stuff I need to do, I can do almost as easily on my iPad as I can on my MacBook. That's very cool. I'm kind of digging that whole process because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really mobile. So the reason I ask about bags is because I'm really intrigued by the mobility of it, you know? Yeah. So, okay. So is there anything else that you have in your bag that is not tech related that you'd be willing to share with us that you always have to have in your bag? Always. Um, my wallet. 
Well, yeah. Which is really was... unfortunate because it's freaking humongous. I really need yeah, to. <laughs> my God, my husband picks up my purse and he's like, what is that brick in there? And it's not the iPad. It's not the phone. It's not like any of that stuff. No, it's the wallet. You take the wallet out and it reduces like three pounds. It's insanity. Um, wow. I just never take the time to actually like reduce the change out of it or anything yeah i think that change is what does it like all the change is so heavy who uses change anymore who uses change anymore oh my god you're (laughs) you're you're right we went over to one of those things like at the super you know what the super what are those called with the the coin star coin stars we just went over there and like dropped a bunch of coins in there we i think it was like 14 dollars that we got out of the coins (laughs) That was exciting. But yeah, I think the Coinstar stuff. So, okay. All right. Well, I just, I wanted to know a little bit of that. It's funny because like now I have, this is how, what my, what my workflow is with my bags is that now I have to add like two things that I'm like, I I cannot leave the house without this. This is like tech related is a lightning cable of sorts, whatever that might be. Like, so even if it's like a regular one or if it's a small, you know, like those tiny ones that you could put on your keychain kind of thing. But I need one of those. I need a way to either something on the wall that I can charge with or a battery. So so what I've done now is that I've I've wrapped a lightning cable now in almost every single bag that I have, including my wallet. So now there's a lightning cable inside of my wallet just in case I only take my wallet somewhere. <laughs> There's one inside of my bag bag, and then there's a, one inside of my backpack, and now I've been carrying another bag. I mean, I don't carry all this all the time, but, like, these are small little bags that come out here and there whenever I'm doing something, but now I'm, like, been doing a lot of journaling lately. So I have a bag that only has my journals and pens in it. And so now what I want is I have to, I, I now have to add a lightning cable to that one, too, and a little external battery as well, because... <laughs> See the nice thing about the iPad Pro is it's got it's got the pencil. So ah. um I don't write on paper anymore. I take all of my notes. I'm a OneNote girl. I know a lot of people are all about Evernote. I know you I, totally and, and are. That's, and that's and that's fine. And that's you great. Know, to each their own. Um nothing wrong with either one. It's just a different workflow between the two. I use OneNote. And I take all of my notes. I was in a certification class over the weekend. I was telling you earlier, it was like two and a half days long. Everybody else was there with pen and paper. I have pages of notes on one tab in one note. And they're all handwritten. And they're all OCR'd, which means I can actually run a normal search in, in one note for a word or a phrase. And it will find it in my handwriting. So I do... A lot of writing, whether it's note-taking or prep for blogs or whatever, and I use um, apps on my on my iPad Pro for that. And honestly, it's fantastic for writing. I use Byword for Markdown, and I'm constantly in there writing blog posts, knowledge-based articles, support blog updates, any of that stuff. I usually do it in Byword right on my iPad and then publish up to WordPress. Boom, done. Boom, done. I use Byword, too. It's one of my favorite apps. That's I'm in great. there right now, actually. It's great. But um, <laughs> and so, so does that pencil, the bullet pencil only works in the iPad Pro, though. It doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work on anything else. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. I was thinking, you know, that's been a huge thing. And I'm not sure. I know that 
I'll probably get the pencil and I'll, I'll probably do the iPad Pro and use it for, for that workflow. But I think what's been really great for me in terms of the journal aspect and the actual handwriting part is the handwriting part. And it's the analog feeling of it. So yeah. as much as it's keeping me, like it's, it's, it's actually been an incredible way for me to keep organized and it's been something that I have not dropped the ball on. Um, but it's, I've had to, there's something that's really pleasing to me to be able to do work now where I do like, strategy work or planning work, things like that, that don't include me having to have a tech, like a tech thing with me. Um, and it's, it's sort of like, it's a little bit calming. It's sort of like neutral, you know, when you like, you have to turn off the computer every once in a while to just clean up the cruft. That's, (laughs) that's kind of what it feels like when I'm like writing with a piece of paper (laughs) on my notebook where I'm like doing that stuff and it kind of helps. But I have to say that there's been a couple of times where I have written in, because I I also have another notepad where I keep a lot of lists that are not um, the type of lists that one would like refer back for work purposes. They're more like lists that are about food or things that I need to do that day to clean the house, you know, stuff that just needs to be done. But I kind of want to refer back to a day or a prior list and I have to sit there and go oh my god what the heck where is it (laughs) right right and that's annoying because it doesn't have a workflow but anyway well thank you for sharing all that stuff (laughs) for us we are now going to move into the biggest chunk of our content and uh, let's start with backup uh, computer data backup computer data backup yeah so this is like just with your desktop laptop Uh, This is with the big hardware that most of us at some point, I think, either work with, particularly as podcasters or not, right? Mm -hmm. So let's deal with online backup first, like the types of backup that you could do for your computer. Actually, you know what? Let's talk about backup as a whole. Like what, what, how would you describe what I'm talking about? Like what exactly does a backup to your computer mean? Well, backup these days is often kind of a multifaceted word. It it used to be just, hey, you want to take a backup of something, you'd plug in a tape drive or a Blu-ray, you'd back up everything, and that was it, right? And by backing up, that meant you took a copy of everything, and that was it. But it means a lot more now. And by that, I mean you could back up a specific folder, and only that folder, and maybe you want that folder not necessarily as a straight-up backup, but as a sync between multiple devices. That's a form of backup. But then there's also the hardcore and original idea of a backup where you're actually taking everything, maybe even your entire system, and running a full backup on everything, and you're tucking it away somewhere not to be touched until you actually need it for restoration. So there's those two different kinds of backups, and you can do that online and offline. Online, we talk about almost cloud-based backup services. And in that case, I'm not talking about the Dropboxes or the iClouds of the world. I'm talking about something that runs on your computer and will actually take everything in your system, unless you tell it otherwise, but typically you want everything in your system and it puts it up on that services servers so it's available to you only if you need a restoration it's not there to be a sync thing where you can access that file on your ipad later it's not that kind of backup does that make sense yeah totally 
And I, I kind of want to clarify that and I want to address kind of the quiet always going around like the Dropbox type of backup mm-hmm. and iCloud backup, not necessarily as a big focus, but to see like what you can utilize those for and how they can possibly save your behind. But let's talk about first about the big kind. The big kahuna uh, backup. The big kahuna <laughs> backup. And starting on with, with online backup services that, you, you know, I use some, but I want to hear what, what you have to say about it. Mm-hmm. There's two services that I've worked with in the past that tend to be pretty popular. One is Carbonite. Carbonite actually does a lot of podcast sponsorships. So yes, you've, they pro- do. you've probably heard of them. If you listen to podcasts, you've probably yep. heard of Carbonite. Uh, they start at $59.99 a year and they base their pricing based on how many computers you are backing up. So the $59.99 a year is backup of one computer. And by backup from one computer, you literally mean taking everything about that system and making a copy of it and putting it on Carbonite's servers. So if your computer goes poof and you need to run a restore, you could go to Carbonite and pull down that data and use it in order to restore your system. Sugar Sync is Sugar Sync historically could be used kind of like a Dropbox, but I've never found that to be really their best use. They um, their best use is more like a Carbonite service. The downfall to Sugar Sync with regards to pricing is they start at seven dollars and forty nine cents a month, and that's mm-hmm. for a hundred gig. So oh, where gosh. Carbonite charges yearly based on how many systems. Uh, Sugar Sync charges monthly based on how much stuff you have. So if you're back, if you're trying to run what we call a full backup, which is what I've been talking about, where you're backing up your entire system, everything about it, you can run out of 100 gig real quick. Their next yeah. one up, I think, is nine ninety nine, and that's for 250 gig, which for a lot of people will will cover the need. It really it, um, it depends, especially when you're talking to podcasters who have oodles and oodles of podcasting files. Yeah, those the sugar thing. I think I've only worked. I worked with a client once that was using it m- more like a Dropbox, right. and I it was a little bit like oh, I was a little I was a little bit confused by sugar sync. I mean, I understood the concept of it, but it didn't really resonate with me so no. much. So it was actually fun to not be working in it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I get to get rid of this thing. Ah. They've been around for a really long time. I used them, oh my gosh, eight, nine years ago. But yeah, when you're just looking for a straight on backup and you want that backup kept on some other server somewhere, not in your house, maybe not in your, not even in your town, you know, when we think about disaster recovery, it sounds kind of weird to say, but if your data center happens to be in New Jersey and New Jersey gets a hurricane, which has happened, uh, that takes your data center out. So you, you, if you're really, really trying to be uber specific about your backups and you want to make sure that not only you have access, but that the data center they're in actually has them, then having some place that's more cloud-based like a Carbonite is a good idea. Mm-hmm. I use Backblaze mm-hmm. for my stuff, and it's it's actually a great little service. I've never had to use it for, uh, I've never had to 
come and go get my data. You know, it's just happening. Right. So, so that's good. Um, and these are some of the things that um, just for those of you who don't use these services, something perhaps to think about when you start and whatnot. The first backup is going to take forever. And by that, it, you know, it's going to take a long time, especially if you have more than one computer and if you have a lot of data. So you so. actually just touched on, and, and I kind of almost touched on it a little bit earlier, is that there's actually different types of backups, not even talking about the different types of uh, services that we're using to do the backup. But when you're talking about backups from a technical perspective, you're usually talking about what we call a full backup, and then there's incremental backups. A full backup is taking absolutely everything on the system and backing it up, everything system settings, registry edits, applications, and all their little DLLs for you Windows people, uh, all of that stuff, backing it up into one archive and putting it somewhere. That's a full backup. An incremental backup is a backup that takes all the changes from the last backup and only backs up that. So from a, from a network admin perspective, which is my uh, original where I come from, uh, we typically would run a full backup once a week, maybe every Sunday night. We'd run a full backup. Backs up everything on the network, absolutely everything. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we do incremental backups where we only take the changes. The thing you have to watch out for with some of these services and how you set up your backup is that they don't override your full backup. Because what can happen uh, especially with something like a Dropbox, even if you're just backing up a specific folder, their strength is that they're keeping a sync, not a backup. So if you make a change to a file, it updates that change. If you have a full backup that then pulls incrementals and they're saving the incremental on top of the, on top of the full, that means that full backup is going to have a sync of all the changes you made, and sometimes you actually have to go back before that. Uh, one example, if you've heard of those ransomwares that have been going around, that's where you have a hacker who will access your computer, your network, and they start to encrypt all the data on your system and literally hijack your data and say, you can't have access to this data unless you pay me X amount of money. Have you heard of this before? These, these, no, how these, lame is this? Oh, and yeah. why? It's, I can't it's like, even... It's like a bait. It's, it's, it's becoming more and more popular amongst hack groups. And companies have actually been in big trouble because what happens is when they start to encrypt that hard drive and the backup starts running, it takes all the changes and it syncs the changes, but those changes are now the encrypted stuff. The encrypted stuff, yeah. Instead of the stuff that you had access to. So if you keep your full backups separate from your changes, then if that happens, well, whatever, hacker, you can go back and mind your own business. I've got my own full backup here, and I'm just going to pull that and override whatever you just did. Oh. So you have to make sure when you're looking at these services that they aren't overriding your full backups. That's really good, really, really good to know. It's so funny because when you were mentioning that, I was like, how come that seems so familiar? And that just, I was like, oh, yeah, well, I read it in a book. I read <laughs> Demon, Daniel Suarez's Demon, and that was, like, such a great book, and it was really freaky. And the guy, the you know, the dead dude does do that for, like, all the companies, like, websites and things and mm -hmm. the Internet, basically. And it was really freaky. So I was like, oh, yeah, but I just thought it was in a movie. I mean, in a book. 
No, um, it's it's yeah. a it's a very real thing. It's a very yeah. real thing. So but that's in not the only that's not you know the only reason that he would want to do that. You know, sometimes you get a corrupt incremental backup, or um, maybe you make a change and you want to go back maybe a month in order to get that change. You almost, you always want to make sure that you're maintaining multiple versions of your backups instead of just one. Uh huh. We'll see. There's that stuff. So that first specifically. So usually incremental backups are not. They don't take very long. They usually no. happen for very a lot quick. of these services instantaneously because they happen as well. You can set them to happen as they happen. That right. could be a setting. Right. Um, for Backblaze, it gives you the option of you can either back up when when you press backup, you can back up from a specific time like let's say starting at midnight and then you can have it end at a specific time or you can have the backup start at a specific time and end when it ends so that really gives you a lot of control for that stuff and something for some of you guys and, and this is the unfortunate part for me crystal which is something that i wasn't prepared to deal with but if i let my backblaze run as I was used to when I was in Pittsburgh, which is was constantly running in the background. Data. It, yeah. Oh my gosh. Especially up here. And, and I pay. I have to pay between 40 and $60 extra a month just because they, there's a data cap. Right. And, and so now um, and it's hard for me because I basically am not charged in the middle of the night. So if it's after midnight, it's basically free data transfer. But I forget sometimes to keep the computer on. You know, I forget because it's my laptop usually. I forget to turn it on and then I forget to turn my little application that keeps the computer from falling asleep. And so I'm, I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks, man. I got yeah, after I my mom it. for that. She called me, I guess this was like two weeks ago. I was in the office as she calls and she says, there's something wrong with my computer and I just don't know what it is. And I keep getting all these pop-ups and, you know, visions of viruses are going through my head. I'll be there after work. So I drive up and I'm looking at it and I'm like, Mom, your virus scanner hasn't been run since the last time I was looking at this computer, which was six months ago. <laughs> and she's like, oh, well, how do I run it? And I'm like, well, it's set to run at 3 a.m. every day. But oh. it's a laptop. She never has it on at 3 a.m. Yeah, every day. I know. So the virus scanner just never ran. So I told her, I'm like, okay, every Monday you have to have it plugged in and leave it on. Any other day of the week, turn it off. But at least that way we can get a virus scanner run once a week. Yeah, and that's that's what's so tough. And I, you know, as you know, we tend to have so much in our heads to be able to do that, but it does pay off to be able to do it. And usually when I go to Pittsburgh, it's when I do it. It's like, okay, it's time to back up. It's as soon as I get to my in-law's house, I like open up my laptop and I let it grow. <laughs> they probably get hit with such like data, like while we were there, because it's like I'm constantly backing up. It sucks. <laughs> anyway, um, so let's talk about some offline uh, backups. External hard drives. You just can't yeah, go wrong. You know, what's what's really nice about an external hard drive is storage is cheap these days. 
It's really, you know, there was a time where buying an additional hard drive or buying an external hard drive, well, you couldn't even do that. You had to buy like an enclosure and put an internal hard drive into the enclosure to make it external. It got really expensive, and that was for a little bit of storage. Space is cheap now. You can buy three, four, five, ten terabyte drives in itty bitty little slim form so you can just throw in your bag and have with you all the time. So, there's a few recommendations there. One is to have an external hard drive that you can run backups on on a regular basis. Two, uh, especially if your data is extremely important to you, you know, if you're running a business or something like that, maybe once a month, take an external hard drive that you run a full and entire backup on and throw it in a fire safe. And don't touch it until it's time to run another backup. That way, if something happens, it's in your fire safe and it's locked up and it, it, you know, it can't burn down with your house or anything like that. I mean, I hate to think about things like that, but that's what we're talking about when we're talking about backups. It's not just a case of viruses and accidental deletions. It's all those other things that happen in our lives that can affect our data and our ability to access it. So having an external hard drive that you can do a full backup on just throw into a safe is is really a great option or have it at your friend's house or your mom's house or safety deposit box or somewhere that is protected from the elements Uh, but even beyond that just having an external hard drive you can plug into on a regular basis is great even beyond that now they have uh, kind of personal cloud type systems. Uh, there's a couple different companies that make them. For example, Western Digital, Drobo, or Synology. All of those make them. You can find them over on Amazon for pretty decent prices. I have a Western Digital MyCloud set up in my house. It's down in my basement by my router. It's Wi-Fi. So any of the systems, whether it's my phone or my tablet or my laptop or my husband's laptop, If they're on, I can set up Time Machine on my Mac or Windows Backup over on Windows to just, hey, I'm connected to Wi-Fi and I'm on. I'm going to run a backup to the MyCloud drive. And it just does it wirelessly in the background. I don't even know it's happening unless I go look for it. But it's always accessible. It's private. It's mine. It's password protected. And I don't actually have to physically plug something in. But it's not a server out there you just it's a it's a piece of hardware you buy it once and it's yours so those are some really great options as well i love those ideas i don't have one of those i've i haven't just i hadn't thought about it i mean i haven't made a decision to get one of those but they're really i like the idea and and actually i only have i do have two big hard drives external hard drives like the Mm -hmm. the desktop type and then i have a little one that i carry with me when i travel a lot of the time where I can do a full backup. But so let's talk about the kinds of, because you mentioned Time Machine and you did mention Drobo or or even MyCloud. Do they have a proprietary like app type thing that you have to install on the computer? Like how does that stuff work? Because I kind of want to talk a little bit about the type of software that is related to backing up externally into something else. Yeah, they do often have their own little proprietary software, that, especially for Windows, that you would use to 
at least initially set up the drive. Once it's in for for these kind of cloud-like systems, once they're initially set up, you actually are creating a shared network drive on the computer. So it's kind of like, you know, when you take an external hard drive or maybe an external DVD burner or uh, an SD card, you plug it into your computer, Windows or Mac, and you look in Finder or Windows Explorer at your computer and you see another drive pop up, right? And you can access it. Yeah. It's the same thing with network storage. And in this case, it's localized network storage. So if you were to set up, for example, MyCloud, that's the one I have. So it's the one I'm personally most familiar with. Um, once it's actually set up on your network, it's just a matter of, hey, I have this shared drive that is accessible on my network. So anytime I come home and I open up my laptop, there's that shared drive and I can access it. I don't have to go through their software or anything. That's usually just the initial setup you have to deal with that for. Admittedly, sometimes that can get a little a little funky, but once it's done, it's it's done and it's just set and you run it. Uh, actually, a lot of these systems, too, will run like media servers. So something like Plex, if you use Plex in order to have all of your movies and TV shows available to you on any of your Roku's or Apple TV's, you can store all of that media. Uh, you can store your Lightroom media if you're using Adobe Lightroom or your, your photos, any of those photo libraries. You can store all of that stuff on these and have a separate folder for your backup, however you want to do it. But you would be able to access those all as individual network drives right in your Finder or your Windows Explorer. Oh, I love that. I love, love, love. For I'm gonna someone have to get like one of those. you who's yeah. having issues with data, um, yeah. maybe running the cloud backup a little less frequently, uh, maybe once a week or once every other week, and having this as something that runs all the time would be a good solution for you. Yeah, I think that that's a great, that's what I was just thinking. I'm like, I wonder if I should just do that. Yeah, because right now it's a manual process. And I know this is a bad thing, but it usually is when I remember, which is usually when somebody says like, I just lost all my stuff. I'm like, oh my God, I haven't backed up my thing. <laughs> so I I end up and, and, you know, plug in my external hard drive and then I run all of the computers at once. And we do incrementals and then I will occasionally do a complete like restore, not restore, but how do you say it? Reformat. And a complete re, you know, new backup from that. But when I do that, I do make sure that I have the backup that I had before, just in case something goes wrong. So yep. there are three that I run, but at least two of them, ha- like redundancy, at least two of them have one that, that is workable, you know? Well, you're ahead of the game. Most people don't even do that. So, <laughs> but we're going to change that today. We are going to change that today because you guys, it's seriously, it's like one of those things that gives me a panic, especially with my photos, you know? Right. It's yeah. like I have to make sure. So what I use on my computer for the Mac is a program called Super Duper. So I don't use Time Machine, although you can use Time Machine to do that and that's fine. I but use I have Time decided, Machine. Yeah. So I, I use Super Duper, which is basically it, it kind of, ha- you can have different types of backups that you can create in an external hard drive and, you know, you can partition the drive and and format it depending upon what your needs are 
for that specific backup. And what I've decided that will like works well for me is that I'll do a clone, yes, a clone backup on one, and then write, and then that that's like basically partitioned just for so that it takes a clone of my entire computer, and then uh, the other partition is just a basic data partition for anything. So it's um, I think it's called FAT. Is that right? The the way that you configure that specific partition so that if I were to then go over to my in-laws Windows machine and I needed access to right. just my files, I could just stick them in there and I could just drag and drop or use those files in there. It's just like having another folder right. without any of the computer or OS settings inside of it. Well. When you take a blank hard drive, and those of us who have ever built a computer when we're putting an operating system on it, it's going to format the hard drive. It partitions the hard drive up, and that's just literally taking slices of the hard drive and saying, I'm going to use this this amount of space for this purpose and this amount of space for this purpose. So it literally takes partitions of the hard drive. And then whatever partition you're putting your content on, you have to format that partition and that format is literally formatting the hard drive to match the format of what you're going to use it for and there's a bunch of technical uh, things that go into that there there's fat and fat 32 and ntfs and mac os mac os journaled and then you get into a bunch of encrypted stuff and that's just the basic windows and mac stuff there's all different kinds of types of formats so what else he's referring to is if you have say mac os journaled and you have that on, say, your external hard drive, and you want to take that external hard drive and plug it into your in-laws computer in order to copy over a couple pictures of the grandkids, you can't do that if their computer is Windows because that system can't read Mac OS journaled. Yeah. So if you use something like FAT32 or NTFS, that's something that both systems can actually read. So it knows how to look at that file. Oh, I recognize that file. That file is a picture. I can open that in my photos app. I know what to do with it. If there's a mismatch there, it doesn't know what to do. And and that's, that's typically not something most people run into because the systems are pretty smart these days and that they kind of tell you, I, I really recommend you use this and not this. But um, it is something to think about. Yeah, and I came upon troubles with that, of course, when I first changed from a PC to a Mac, mm-hmm. and then I, I had to learn kind of the hard way because I had you to reformat so many different things. Dude, I, I was I, on a PC. I, I do not envision you ever on anything, <laughs> not Mac. Like, I can't even picture. I, I, want, I, want, I want photographic evidence. You want a photographic? <laughs> I know. I, I think my mom's got that laptop. It's this giant, like, you know, oh those, like, brick... Those ones that you pick up and you're like, this is like 50 pounds. It's a 50-pound laptop. That's what my um, mom has, one of my old ones. And when I went to work on it the other week, I sat down in front of it and I looked at it. And I'm like, oh, my God, how does this thing still run? I know. <laughs> I think it probably still does. I kind of don't want to get rid of it. There's, like, stuff in there I want to check. Elsie, you know, I'm like, the what? hard drive in my mother's computer still uh-huh. spins. Like, it physically spins. It physically spins. It physically oh, spins. You can hear it. You hear it. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. 
Aww. Aww. <laughs> well, uh, but see, here's the other... Okay, so here's what's happened as well. And I think that this is something that we dropped the ball with. And I have in the past because it's a pain sometimes to do. But whenever you do back up your stuff, you also have to have a, an awareness to be able to reboot from the backup or to access your data from the backup. Because right. there is a possibility that you're thinking that you're backing up, but then your backups might not be really actually useful. So all of that work and all of that peace of mind that you feel you have won't work. So part of the backup workflow needs to be let's test the dr- verification. Exactly. That is a word. Verification. So how should we do that? Usually it's pretty simple. You just access uh, the archive that all the files are in and just browse through them. Uh, you know, if it's a Windows computer, at some point you're going to find a folder that's called C colon and you open that. And when you do, you'll see a folder there that's called users. So you click on that and then you'll see your username and you click on that and you see desktop. You click on that. No, there's all the files that were on your desktop. You know, you just kind of browse through the files and some of the system stuff you may not necessarily recognize. You can find your applications folder and are those all my apps? Hey, yeah, there's there's all my Adobe stuff and there's Microsoft Word. You just are getting a general idea that you can actually see those files. Uh, Most backups, like if you're using something like Windows Backup or Time Machine, You can use it as an actual backup, like to do a full restore if you are completely rebuilding your computer from scratch. But you can also just browse through the files and just find the files that you want. Maybe open a picture or two, open a Word doc or two, and make sure that they actually open. Yeah. And I know that that was a step that I missed a lot of times when I first started to do some backups and and I also learned how to reboot from my external Mac, from my external hard drive, even though it wasn't like the easiest experience for me because I had to, you know, because I had to follow directions. I remember I found a tutorial on how to do that. I was so going to say, test Google is your friend in that case. It really yeah, because it is. And so I was like, I got to reboot. I want to see if I can reboot from my external. <laughs> because, now, if you're working because, with something like a, a cloud backup service that doesn't have a specific restore process available to you. You need to make sure that before you reset everything or if you have a different computer you can use temporarily, you need to download that archive first before you can actually get started with the restore. A lot of times we get all excited and we go ahead and format that hard drive and then we realize we have no way of accessing our backup because it's in some cloud somewhere at some database, data center. So you need to make sure you actually have those files available to you so you can use them. Mm-hmm. If you don't have them available to you locally, then they're no use to you. Yep. And there you have it. <laughs> because that's Just the whole like point. <laughs> All, and there you have it. Um, so, yeah. So, please make sure that you're backing up at least, you know, I don't know what you would. What do you think are best practices for backups, for system backups or incremental backups? I'm still stuck to the, the old way of run a full backup once a week and incrementals. Okay. Every single day, just make sure that you're not overriding your old backups. You know, I, I, I use Time Machine on my system. It, it, it works fine. It actually does a really good job of keeping all of the backups separate and, and cataloged so you can go back through it and find the date that you need. And the way I have mine set is I have a hard drive that's dedicated only to backups. That's its entire job. It does nothing else ever, ever, ever. Right. Its entire job is backups. And... I have Time Machine set to never overwrite anything until it runs out of space. And when it runs out of space, it only overwrites the oldest stuff. 
Well, that hard drive, it's an external hard drive. It's six terabytes. My Mac only has a 256 gig hard drive. So how old do you think the oldest backup is going to be before it has to start overwriting? Yeah, it's that's a couple be good. years old. Yeah, I don't totally, care especially. about that backup. I might oh care God. about a backup from maybe as far back as six months, but something that's maybe three years old, if it overwrites that, oh, well, I don't care. Yeah, totally. Well, that, that sounds like a good plan. And that's a huge hard drive, dude. I don't, I think my biggest one, I think, is. Is it two? I think I have, or maybe three. I have three terabytes. I have a Western I have Dis- Digital My Passport Ultra that I walk around with. This has my Lightroom catalog with all my images and stuff on it. And let's see, I want to say this is uh, two, it's four, four terabytes. Oh my gosh, and it that's was like, insane. It's like 120 bucks when I bought it. And that was a couple years <gasps> ago. It stays in my computer bag and... It's small. It's the size of yeah. my hand, and its entire job is to hold my Lightroom catalog, all my pictures. And I have Lightroom actually set to back up um, my. F- you want to talk about backups? I have iCloud set up on all my iDevices, and I purchased an extra 200 gig of iCloud storage that I pay for monthly. I only use it for photos. So my photo library from iOS and Mac all back up to that. But I also have Lightroom set to automatically import anything from photos. So I don't actually use photos. I use Lightroom, but it's an extra backup because, you know, any picture you take on your phone or your tablet goes to photos. So then I use Lightroom, but I have Lightroom set up to sync my laptop and all of my mobile devices together. So if I open Lightroom, it's got everything from photos and it's got it on all systems that I use and Lightroom catalog goes onto my external hard drives. <laughs> I have three oh copies of three copies of every single image, at least not including the backups that I have going to Dropbox and Cloud and all those other places. That's what we call <laughs> redundancy people. <laughs> I'd rather have duplicates of my son's birth than no pictures of my son's birth. And yeah, as totally. Many ta- as many photo albums as I keep buying on Amazon because I swear I'm going to print all these out and make paper copies. I never do. Right. I never. I have like five, eight empty photo albums sitting in my basement. <laughs> I'm never going to print out a picture and put it in there. I just, I, I just don't. If somebody wants to see a picture, I pull it up on my phone, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, there are times when I need them though. But yeah, that's a whole other. I think that's, that's a, a whole, whole other, other conversation of, of just like workflow for that because that's just going to make my hair pull, get pulled out because it's just too much. Right. All right. So I think we've covered the computer data. Let's move into some podcast uh, data backups and kind of like pull it all together here because another thing that can happen, obviously, is that you know, what do you do with it? Because I've seen that question come up. Now that you're podcasting, you are creating a bunch of files a lot of files a lot lot of files files. right because holy monkeys like i have for the feed just when i record the feed itself i have all of my solo files that i have Mm -hmm. then i have the conversation with rob Mm -hmm. then i have the slew depending upon how many people have sent voice feedback for that episode including the promos and anything like that that i have to add to it so that's like I, I, I honestly, it's between 15 and 20 uh, files per show. And that's just the audio files. That's not the project file. So I end up with it, with it, so much because once I pull it up in there, the GarageBand file is another gigantic file. I don't know why that does that. And, you know, the export, the AIFFs, the versions, the MP3 versions. So what do we need to keep and where do we put it? I keep everything. 
I do too, but I but I, I didn't know if I was obsessive. No, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, and there's a couple different reasons why. For one, I always keep a raw copy of the file, whatever the raw wave file is. Typically, today is not normal by any stretch for me. Um, typically, I actually record to my task cam, a, a hardware recorder, because as as you've already you run into this problem all the time where your stuff crashes or something something goes bad or we see over in sheet podcast where i recorded an audacity and i closed my laptop lid and i popped it back open and now the file where where are my waveforms where did where did the audio go if i record to a hot art uh, to a hardware recorder i i don't have to worry about any of that so i've got these raw audio files and if i'm running an interview I'm going to have raw audio files for that, too. And I actually always run a backup. So even though I record to the hardware recorder, and I always use that recording because it's going to be the best audio quality than what a software is going to give you, I still run a software backup. Uh, if I'm doing a, an interview, I use Ecamm on my Mac. I use Pamela on my PC, whatever it may be. So I've already got a couple raw audio files. I never edit the original raw audio file ever 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 because if during my editing something were to go wrong and I lose whatever I've been doing in my editing and I end up losing everything or even some of it I always have the original raw to go back to it might suck that I have to redo all my work but at least I have that original raw file I can go back to and sometimes maybe you've got some extra bits you might want to use for a clamor clip, uh, clamor clip or something like that. Uh, some little fun tidbits or um, what what what, it, what are they, the outtakes or yeah, you know totally. something like that. So I always I always keep a copy of the raw file that I've not touched, and then I have a copy of the file the raw file that I've edited, and the project files because if I ever want to re I edit personally in, in audition but the same thing is going to be true for audacity or GarageBand. if i reopen that project file everything that i've done is there and if i need to remove a filter that i added or anything like that i can do that um and then of course the final the final product whatever it, you know your mp3 file that you've created uh, now that makes for a lot of stuff doesn't it <laughs> those are some pretty yeah. big files pretty big files uh, you know, that raw audio file, depending on how long you've gone, sometimes can be 600, 800 megabytes, a gig, a gig and a half. Uh, you, at the end of the day, your MP3 is only going to be, what, 30, 60 megabytes, depending on how long your your episode yep. is. So it's tempting to get rid of that raw file, but I would encourage you not to. I would encourage you to hang on to all of it and have a specific... I, I break everything, my folder... And <laughs> One of our developers at Lipson walked in on me one day while I was trying to organize some of my podcasting folders, actually for Lipson Live. And he was watching me go down through all my subfolders. And he said that it was some of the most ridiculous organization he's ever seen. Oh, my God. <laughs> because what I do is I have the show, like Lipson Live, for example. Uh, you, you, so I'll have a folder for Lipson Live. And then b below that, I have subfolders for each year. 2013 2014 2015 2016 so i'll go into 2016 and then i have the folder for the episode so episode 21 and it's usually like episode 21 dash and the episode title 
And then you go in there and I have a folder for raw. And that's all the raw files that I'm not going to touch. And outside of the raw file, the raw folder is where I have everything that I actually work on. All of that syncs to Dropbox because that's all inside my Dropbox. Yeah, that's almost, almost exactly like what I do for my files as well. Except the only thing I don't... It is smart. And the only thing that I that I haven't done is I haven't split out the years, which I think would be really helpful. I just have it through by the episodes. And I think that that's such so such a smart thing that is so simple. And I completely forgot to do something like that. But what I've done um, is um, now when I do it to Dropbox, I do the same thing. I've been backing it all up to Dropbox. And as soon as all the files are complete, so as soon as the episode has been live for a week, then I no longer sync it to my computer. I so, keep the last five episodes. So I have, on your computer? Yes. I have mine set up. I'll go in every once in a while and use the selective sync in Dropbox and remove uh, the older ones. But for any show that I do, I always keep the last five current episodes just in case I want to go back and work on them or reference them or I do a lot of testing for all of the new stuff that goes out for Lipson. So sometimes I just need test files to work with. I just need files that I can just upload and have available and just play with. So I always keep the last five episodes, but they're still in sync with Dropbox. The other thing that that does by always keeping the latest ones available is whenever I do run Time Machine, Time Machine can back it up. Because remember, Dropbox is a sync. It's not a backup. So if I delete it off my computer, it deletes it off of Dropbox. So you want to make sure that whatever your backup solution, you know, we just spent a lot of time, almost an hour, talking about backups on our local computer. But if we allow Dropbox to hold the file for us and we delete it from the local computer, then Time Machine can't pick that up. That's true. But if so I keep if I keep the last few versions, then at some point, whenever I run Time Machine or whatever my backup solution, my local backup solution is, it's going to be able to pick that up probably a few times before I finally say, okay, I need to free up some space on my system. It's just up in Dropbox. If I go back through my Time Machine archives, I still have the file on that external drive. So if something happens with Dropbox and I have done this where I've accidentally lost files on my local system and I'll go up to my OneDrive or my Dropbox to try to find it and I realize that because it was in sync, whatever I had locally is no longer there. And yes, I know they tend to keep things in trash for 30 days, but what if you remember a month and a half later? I have done that, but it's still on my time machine backup. That's why, mm. I, do it. That's why I do it that way. Yeah, no, that's a really good, that's a really good call there. I hadn't thought about that. But at this moment, and and I'm running out of space, and I think one of the reasons that I wanted to do this talking about backups, too, is because I am running out of space. I'm trying to figure out, like, what can I pare down? What are the things that are essential? How can I keep the the data from growing exponentially in this way? What can the workflow be so that I can remove the unnecessary things but at the same time keep a backup? Because I'm not okay. I I just feel... I can't, I can't just delete, you know, I can't delete it. I can't Mm -hmm. get rid of it. And so, um, and I know now for sure, because I did start podcasting so long ago, 
I didn't have a workflow at that time. I didn't know what to do with those files. And there came a point where it was like, oh, I need to get rid of some of these. And I just deleted them. I had no concept of a backup. I had no idea that I could do or should have kept some of those. And I have to say that, you know, I think two years in, I realized, oh, I should have probably kept those. (laughs) Because there was because I had such a lack of audio awareness then like what what good audio was, what leveling was, what, you know, my intro was incredibly loud. And then my classes were really, really quiet. And I had no idea. You know, I honestly had no clue. I was just putting that stuff out. But if I would have had, you know, after all of this knowledge, if I would have had the knowledge, I would have just been able to go into those GarageBand projects and just done a little post-production on them. Yeah. You know, and but I didn't have the original file, so I couldn't really do that, which was really frustrating for me later. So I can't, obviously, I can't fix that. So, yeah. So anyway, that's to say, please keep your stuff because it's good. Once yes. in a while, you will have to refer back to it. You know, I, for those of you who don't know me well, I do work for Lipson. And one of the things that we get all the time, someone who will, maybe they close their show or whatever it might be. And then they come back to us and they say, hey, I need to reactivate. I need a way to download an archive of all my stuff. Wow. Dude, people, <laughs> please keep your stuff. One thing to note, well, whoever, whether it's Lipson or otherwise, whoever your web host is, whoever your podcast host is, it is not their responsibility. And many hosts actually have this in their terms of service that they are not responsible for maintaining backups of your stuff some places like when you're talking about web hosts um, they'll have a backup service you can buy and that's great buy it don't make don't rely 100% on it it the it's 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 your job to maintain your content and have backups of your data not your hosts um, we can't we can restore and by we i mean most hosts web hosts podcast hosts we can restore our servers with your and everyone else's content if shit were to hit the fan yeah of course we can but our backups aren't like your backups we're not going and pinpointing one little file and pulling it out for one person it doesn't work that way so you you, you got to keep your own backups, folks. <laughs> yeah, it's like it. I think you're right. I think it's like probably the last the last straw. But it's interesting how I do I do hear that. It's like if you lose this, you lose all your files. Isn't that a little bit um, disempowering for you? If you think that one company or has control over six, you know, because I, I, you know, I've heard this, like six years of my life have disappeared. Well, where were you, you for need... the last six years? Yeah, where were you for the last six years? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I mean, I don't mean to, to, to bash the user because yeah, Lord yeah. knows we've all been in this position. And I'm not, like you said, I'm, I'm not saying it's not a last resort, but at the end of the day, only you can be responsible for your own content. And and I, I I've seen... So many producers, the second they upload it to their podcast host, they delete their all their files for that episode locally. 
because they think that that's their backup. But then maybe something went wrong with their that file didn't fully upload or it got corrupt or they realized that the intro didn't sound right and they need to go back and edit. And now they want to they, they want a copy of it. You know, if you keep if you keep your own files, you're not going to run into those problems. Yeah. So keep your own files, people. And in, another thing, too, if if you're listening to this now and you're like, oh, I already did that. Well, this would be a really good time for you to subscribe to your own show and download all your episodes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when people ask, <laughs> how do I get how do I get an archive of my stuff? Subscribe to your own show, which you should be doing already Anyway. anyway yeah <laughs> so you but and it's really cool because i think i think i haven't done this in a long time though crystal but do correct me if i'm wrong i do believe that if you go into itunes and you can basically download all of them and yes. i mean it'll of course take a long time but you can tap a button or something and yeah if it you, will download if you all subs- the episodes and, and this is exactly what our support staff will tell you to do you subscribe to your show in itunes And once you do in your local podcast library, right click on the show and there's an option. It's the second from the bottom on Mac. Anyway, I'm looking right at it. Download all. It will look at every single post on that RSS feed and it will download every single file. And what you can then do is right click on one of the episodes and show in finder or for pc people show and explore and it will open the folder where every single one of those files that just downloaded is and you can make a copy of them boom there it is boom easy boom Boom. easy because that's why our that's why rss feed is nice (laughs) (laughs) yay so yes rss so now we're going to uh, attempt to kind of touch base really quick as we wrap everything up here on podcast workflow backup. And this is something that Crystal was like, what does that mean? <laughs> I, yeah, and, uh, what, is, what are you talking about with that? Okay, here and, are her notes. It says podcast workflow backup while recording redundancy tools and services. And I oh, literally yeah. in, in the Google Drive <laughs> doc, I was like, Crystal, note. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. I was like, um, okay. It was clear in my head. Okay. So what this is, is because this has happened to me and I know that this has happened to a lot of you listening mm-hmm. is, you know, you are recording on, you know, p- possibly into GarageBand or Audacity or whatever other recording thing that you decide you're to use or whatever. You're in the middle of doing something like that. And for whatever reason, your computer froze or the app froze and you know at first you are patient and you wait for it because you don't you know you don't want to mess it up but then finally nothing's happening and you're the only course of action for you now is to reboot your computer and you lose all of that starting off right so because I had that happen to me so many different times mind you this usually happened while I was on my PC when I first started podcasting Um, things would freeze uh, I started to learn to constantly back up. So I was constantly pressing save. Like I would be like, it was like, it's this compulsion with my fingers. Like while I'm working on GarageBand now, it's like command S, command S, command. Even if it's naturally already doing, GarageBand now does it basically by itself, but I can't trust it. And even when I'm recording, because I record directly into Amadeus Pro, I actually don't use GarageBand to record anything specifically directly into that. If I'm not using my H2N to record directly into that, and immediately I press 
you know, command S, command S, command S, like 50,000. I do it three times. I don't know if that's like a weird thing. I'm like, command S, command S, command S. <laughs> it's always good to make sure it actually took at least. I know, because I'm like, oh my God. Because I have, I've suffered. So the reason I asked this, Crystal, is like, are, is there anything else we can do while we are recording or almost immediately after we finish recording to back up those files because we also do have a lot of our ladies do a lot of sort of um, batching. So there is, you know, they'll, they'll have one or two days where they will record a ton of interviews one after the other so that they can then go back later and just edit it and put them out. But, um, you know, there's been some lost ones in the process or you can't find a file, but you don't find that out until way later. So what do you think is the best, perhaps, workflow process is what I meant while you're recording or directly afterwards to keep copies of those files? Well, I know this isn't going to be a very popular answer, but if I had absolutely one, 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 one recommendation to make, don't record on your computer. Right. Uh, your hardware recorder is going to give you better audio quality anyway. And it doesn't have all those other things like your email running in the background and updates that uh, OS X or Windows, oh God, Windows, loves to do automatically for you. And then reboot halfway through your interview. Um, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have all of those things. All it does, it has one job and that's record. And it records to an SD card, which is pretty reliable. And as soon as you're done, you make a copy of that file. At least one copy. That would, I mean, if, if, if you're going to say, what is your number one recommendation to avoid this issue? Don't record on a computer. Uh, mm. I know when I bring up mixed minuses, a lot of people, well, you could just use Ecamm for that. Well, yeah, you could. But what if Ecamm was your backup? So if you're doing an interview and you run a mix minus and you're recording primarily to your hardware recorder, but you still run Ecamm because you're running a mix minus. So Ecamm will still pick up the entire conversation or Pamela will still pick up the entire conversation, whatever software recorder you're using, it'll still pick up the conversation. So now if your hardware recorder fails, you still have your software recording. If your software record fails, well... Oh, well, because your hardware worked and it's better audio quality anyway. Right. So that would be my number one recommendation. But, of course, hardware recorders cost money. Uh, so a lot of people don't want to go that route. In which case, uh, you're right. Just making sure that you're control that you're saving constantly if you're recording in something like GarageBand or something where it's actually saving a file on the fly. Um, the thing... I was going to go somewhere with that. Oh, the, <laughs> well, I mean, and, you know, some people might say, well, can you record using two different programs at the same time? And the problem is, is the program that you're using to record is going to want to take over your audio hardware. And even at that, you're using so many resources, system resources, CPU, RAM, um, disk access speeds, all of those things in order to actually do the recording. You just kill your computer for most of us anyway. So there really isn't any way, any good way to record through two different applications to, to have two different files recorded at the same time. So the only 
really the only thing you can do is make sure you're saving frequently. Yeah, uh, and which, I, I mean, when I'm when I'm when I'm recording a podcast, uh, I I just go. I I turn on the mic. I've got my notes in front of me. And once I get those few sentences out, I'm in a zone and I go. So I'll be honest, for me to sit there and remember to hit control S, that ain't happening. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a quick funny story. I was at a conference in February and uh, a friend of mine got me an interview with an organization that I, that I really, really like. And so I had interviewed them the year before, but this was with the actual organization owner, the guy, the guy who started it. And I was like, okay, this is going to be cool. I had a new system. I had my Tascam hardware recorder. I had a lav mic on me and I had an interview mic because I used to do the pass back and forth thing and you just lost so much because you're moving the microphone and people are still talking and it just got ugly. So now I've got two channels, right? I've got my lavalier on one channel and I've got the interview mic on the other. I had just done a walkthrough going up and down the aisles of the conference using my GoPro and my lab. So I had the second interview mic turned off. I had that channel turned off. And I walked into this interview with this organization and he was all impressed. He's like, wow, look at you. You know, you've got your, your laugh mic going on. You've got your little low pro bag with a recording. You've got this really nice interview. You've got this going on. I'm like, yeah, you look at me. I'm all awesome podcaster. Oh, my God. <laughs> I kid you not. Like, I was like, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I've been there for three days recording interviews. I had interviewed a couple celebrities and the whole night. I mean, I was kicking butt. And I take the interview mic and I put it up to his face and we run the whole interview and I'm like got it I'm good and I get back to my hotel room I had never turned the interview mic channel on oh my gosh the pain you know what saved my tuchus what my lav mic is a condenser mic oh it picked channel up channel one picked oh. it up Wow. So in post editing, it wasn't as clean as I like my stuff to be, right. but it was still pretty darn good. Once I ran it through some gates and so forth, I was able to up their side of the conversation. I mean, it was painstaking. It was manual. I had to go find where they'd start talking and I'd have to level that up yeah, and then yep, level mine yep. down to get it to match. But I got it done. So in this case, a second microphone that was on my person was actually my backup. Wow. <laughs> Check that out. Dude, it's like the worst thing ever. There's nothing like that because there's been, yeah, there's nothing like you, you, the person, you, the podcaster, forgetting to press record or forgetting that you pressed pause. Oh, the record thing was the year before. It was another interview yeah, with oh a with an organization. Like, I, I love the stuff that they create. And the guy, he had a really bad cold. And he was just, ex I mean, he looked so bad. But he promised me an interview. And damn it, he was going to be there to give me that interview. The, the gentleman was just the most wonderful guy ever. And I put the mic in front of him. And we started talking. We were going to talk about new product first and then old product we liked. And I looked down and the light on my task cam was still flashing, meaning it was prepped. It was not recording. Ouch. So I, I missed the full first half. I never told him. Never I told him. I wouldn't have told him either. I, I never, never told, told him. him. <laughs> <laughs> what if he's listening, Crystal? Could you imagine if your guest 
was listening to She Podcast right now, how shocked you would He's be. <laughs> probably laughing his head off, but <laughs> kind of the the, the wrong um, genre. The wrong possibly genre. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought um, like that would be yes. so hilarious. Um, so, yes, he was so, listening oh to She Podcast. No offense to She Podcast, but when you talk about target market, he's about yeah. as far away <laughs> from that as you Yeah, can. totally. Oh, my God. So, all right. So we basically covered the majority of of all of this stuff. So if we can have our listeners take away a little something, you know, like two things, two pieces of information that we really need you guys as podcasters to do to save you from wanting to just shut off your, you know, cut off your head or something like that because you've made a mistake that could have been prevented. What would you say? For backup. One, always have a local backup you can access. External hard drive works great. Um, In-home cloud, whatever it is you do, have have a hard drive somewhere in your home that has backups. Uh, at least run that once a week, full backup. Um, yeah, that I mean, really, that's and keep your raw files. Always keep your raw files. I'm cool with you that. Asked, you asked for two, so external yeah. hard drive. Keep a backup at least once a week, full backup, and keep your raw files. Don't edit your raw files. Don't delete them. Keep them. Keep them, stuck them, stick them somewhere. Stick yep. them somewhere. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm good. I'm good with that, Crystal. I'm good with that, Crystal. Are you going to come back soon again? Hopefully, hey. if somebody has any questions, if we'll talk about me. another geeky thing. <laughs> you see me plenty often over in the She Podcast group, so. <laughs> I know. Yay! Well, thank you so much for coming on and helping us talk this out and hopefully you know if you guys have any questions for you know for us here you can even send them along for crystal and i'll have her answer them for you you can uh email feedback at shepodcast.com and let us know and if you and let us know about your backup kind of workflows and things that have been working for you or, or possibly something that saved your tuckus um <laughs> <laughs> while you were you know something happened so i've been very thankful for my backups very very thankful so all right. Well, we'll talk with you guys next time. Ciao. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for listening. I am so glad you stuck this out because if you're listening to my voice, you deserve a gold star. You can give me a high five or a crystal high five for all of that stuff. Again, check the show notes. Please email feedback at shepodcast.com if you have any of your uh, you know, hard drive stories that you want to share with us. And also remember, you need to sign up. If you're going to Podcast Movement, please sign up with Jessica and myself to give you the one-two punch and take your podcast off off the stratosphere. So uh, go over to shepodcast.com slash apply, shepodcast.com slash apply. And I, we look forward to chatting with you and talking all about work it and all about being in transition and all about the great things that happened on episode 100 on episode 101. So um, we look forward to talking with you guys. Bye-bye. <laughs> Third.